Thank you, Catherine. That was uh, our sister Catherine. When we go out on these mission trips, we go with an organization called NPWM. And NPWM stands for Native Partners for World Mission. It was actually started by our, our, uh, our Korean church. So we're part of, we're the EM of a Korean church in Seoul called Jail Sangdo. And 20, 25 or like 20 years ago, they started this organization where they go and they'll, they'll find um, seminary students all throughout Asia that are wanting to be pastors, and they would go and just sow into their lives with finances and with prayer, and they would raise them up, and they would eventually start churches. And so they actually um, had a convention of all these pastors that came to Seoul last year, I think two years ago, and it was like, like how many, like 300-some-odd pastors that would come, and that's how, that's how many churches that were started by MPWM. And so um, when we go out, we, we yeah, we get to partner, we get to go and spread the, the gospel and do all these things, but it's actually... We get to t- take part in what God is already doing in these places. Now, and when we leave, the Spirit of God remains, and He continues to do this work in the places that we go. And when we see people like, like sisters like Catherine and Julie and uh, who else went? Uh, Kelly and Jen and Novo. When these brothers and sisters, they go on these trips, it's, you know, although we do a lot of transforming when we go there, they come back transformed. I remember a lot of my spiritual growth. I went, I've been on many mission trips and I remember every time, I've come, every time I came back, I had a different revelation of, of God the Father and who God really is. And how in our world today, in cities, it's hard to really see sometimes how furious that love is for his people. And we, we go to these places where, you know, they don't have medicine and they don't have, like, you know, hospitals that they can go to. And we see just God healing people. We just see how amazing his love is for us. And so it's a blessing to hear your testimony, Catherine. And uh, I hope to hear more in the future as, as uh, you know, as she opens up. She's very sanguine, and so she's probably going to talk to a lot of you guys about this trip. And so um, please be, uh, be aware of that. <laughs> um, I want to continue my sermon series. I, a couple of weeks ago, I started a sermon series on the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts is a very special book. It's, a, it's, 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 a, it's almost a history book in a sense, and it, it, it uh, talks about... The Acts of the Apostles, the first apostles uh, that, that were sent out after the ascension of Jesus Christ, after uh, he went back up to heaven, he sent out his apostles to go and basically start the church. And this is actually, it's, it's called Acts, but it, Acts of the Apostles, but it could actually be called Acts of the Holy Spirit because it basically uh, depicts what the Holy Spirit did in, act, in, in developing um, the church and, and sending out these men and women to, to take part in what... The Holy Spirit and the plan of God was to, he, he orchestrated this amazing uh, work that actually developed the bride of Christ, which is the church. And so in my last sermon, I talked about, it was called, Wait, Then Go. And how God, how Jesus uh, commanded his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. You know, because without the Holy Spirit, they were not going to be able to fulfill the command that he gave out, which was to go and be witnesses for, for him um, throughout throughout uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He gave the disciples his mandate, but he told them to wait. And it's because when the Holy Spirit came, they were able to have that power. And I talked about how when we go out and when we bear witness for Jesus Christ, what we need is the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, and we need the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's what actually advances the kingdom of God upon this earth. And, um, and I want to continue on with this series. And today I want to take a look at the period of time 
between Jesus going up into heaven and the Holy Spirit coming down. Because what, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit, which the Father promised you. You know, and, and, and when you receive it, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll receive this power that's going to help you to be this witness to the, to the, to the nations for, for me. And so I want to look at this time. You know, um, and it was a waiting period. You know, Jesus said, wait. And he took off. And all they had to do is, is they just sat around and they had to wait. Um, sometimes waiting is one of the hardest things to do. I hate waiting. I really do. And uh, like my, my wife, Pastor Mina, she, there's a lot of times when she'll make me wait for things. And I'm like, oh, man. And I, like even this morning, I just got, I got a little angry, got a little frustrated. And I had to ask God for forgiveness. And I had to ask my wife for forgiveness. But, you know, she, she kept me waiting. And I was like, ah. Oh. Like, man, you know, like, I, I just I hate it. And uh, right now, uh, th- right now, we actually signed for a new apartment. Um, you know, we've been living in this apartment, and it's kind of old and dingy. And uh, we've been, we kind of wanted to increase, and, you know, we want to have kids soon. And so we actually wanted to move into a better apartment. And we actually signed for a new apartment. Any day we can move in as long as somebody takes over our apartment. And so now we're in this waiting period where we have to wait for people to come and say that they want to take over our apartment so that we can get our key money and we can move into our new apartment. And we don't know how long it's going to be. And it's, it's kind of agonizing because our new apartment is directly next to our apartment. And so we see it every day as we leave. It's this beautiful golden, like, like this beautiful building that, that just goes up into the sky. And we can actually see our apartment from, our, from, from the front of our house. And every day we're looking and we're like, man, I got to wait. I have to wait for this for these people to come in and move into our apartment. And it's just, it's really hard. Waiting is hard for everybody. You know, in today's society, nobody likes waiting. They want instant gratification, you know. They want things now. And if Jesus had come into history today, you know, and, and when, as Jesus went up, we'd be like, man, we need the Holy Spirit now. What are you talking about? Wait, Jesus. I want it now. You know, if, if, if this is something that we need, we need it now. Like, you know, why do we have to wait? That's probably what we would be saying. If Jesus had come to earth in our generation, you know, that's, that would be the, what, what we would be saying. Um, as people of God, we often find ourselves in times of waiting. We are waiting for the Lord. We wait for God to move. And these times of waiting can be some of the hardest times in our lives. Some of the toughest, toughest times are times when we have to wait. In some ways, we are all waiting for something. Some of us are waiting for marriage. Some of us are waiting for breakthroughs. We're waiting for revival. We at Seaside, at this church, we're, we're waiting for God to bring the increase. In fact, in all three campuses of New Philly, we're waiting for this increase to come. And like Jesus told his disciples to do before he went up to heaven, he's also telling us to wait. It says, but, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. It's from Isaiah 40. It says, wait for the Lord and keep his ways, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. It's from Psalms 37. We need to wait for the Lord. Wait for his timing. And we have to wait for his opportunities. Wait for his direction, and we have to wait for his guidance. But so many times... We want to go and do something, right? You know, it's God tells us to wait, but we want to do, do, do. You know, and 
And sometimes, you know, we, God calls us away, and we, what we want is we want God to do something. And we're waiting for God to do something. Like, God, why, don't, why aren't you doing this? But when things aren't happening, when things aren't going our way, when things that should be happening aren't happening, we think that something is wrong. Right? And instead of waiting on the Lord, we start to act upon our own understanding. We start doing things based on what we think is right. We start attributing our timing to what, what God is saying, to God's timing. And we, 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 we put our will and, and, and what we think into our situations. You know, what happens is some people, they start second-guessing their intimacy with God. You know, they're like, God, you know, like, you know, like, and if you really, if I'm really walking rightly with God, if I'm really walking rightly with you, this should be happening now. This should be happening now. I should be married by now. I mean, some, sometimes we question the love of God. We're like, God, if you really love me, this should be happening right now. We've all done that before. And in, and in their time of waiting, they fail to realize the purpose of that time. The purpose for that time of waiting that God has for them. When, when you're walking rightly with God, when you're intimate with God, you're living a life for Him, that time of waiting isn't a time of inactivity, but it's a time of preparation. When God has you waiting, He's preparing you for something. Either in developing your character, developing your wisdom, developing your knowledge, He might be preparing His perfect timing for that situation. When we are waiting on the Lord, that time of waiting is for our preparation. You know, And sometimes we see the reason... And we see the reason and the preparation behind the waiting. Now, for instance, seminary. Now, most pastors and preachers, they go to seminary and they have to wait. It's like three years. And in that time, they see the preparation that they're doing. They see that this time of waiting, there's a specific reason and there's, there's, a, there's a, a purpose behind this time of waiting. So that when they graduate and they move on to their church and their ministry, they're more equipped and they're, able, they're, they're more effective in how they minister. Pregnancy. When a woman gets pregnant, there's that nine months of waiting. Yeah, it's a time for the baby to grow, but it's also a time where the woman is preparing to be a mother. It's a time where the father is preparing to be a father. It's a time where they can prepare the baby room and buy the clothes and, and the diapers. You know, it's a time of preparation. We can see the reason behind it, right? Engagements. When you get engaged, you guys see that it's, it's a time where you can prepare your life together. And you can see what's coming in the future. However, a lot of times, we can't see the reason or the preparation behind all the waiting. God's called you to be an artist. And He's even gifted you as an artist. But you are in a season of waiting for opportunities and open doors, and there's nothing. There's nothing for you to express your creativity. And you wait and wait. And nothing. No open doors. No opportunities. For you to, to, to follow through and carry out this calling that God's given you. Some of you guys are in your season and you guys are ready to get married. You guys have your 10 grand saved up. You can buy that ring. You're healed and delivered and set free. You know, you're walking rightly with God. You got some of that character in you. And you're like, yeah, I'm ready, God. Where's this fine woman? Where's my Boaz? And you're waiting. And God just 
has you in this pattern of just waiting. You don't know why. You don't know the reason behind it. Why am I waiting, God? And for what? Who's coming? (laughs) Though you may not see with your natural eyes, and you may not even understand, based on your natural understanding, when God tells you to wait, that waiting time is a time of preparation. He's preparing you. He's getting you ready. He's setting you up for his timing. And here in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus tells his disciples to wait. He says, you know, and these men and women following him for three years, all of a sudden he's gone and they just have to wait. And when we read their account in the book of Acts, we see that they weren't just sitting around. They weren't inactive in their waiting. As As a matter of fact, they were actually preparing themselves in time for what they were waiting for. They were proactively waiting. They were proactive in their waiting. And so let's take a closer look at what they were doing as they were waiting. Let's read Acts, starting with verse 12. Everybody turn to Acts 1, verse 12. And, I'll, and keep your fingers there because we're going to be covering the, the rest of this chapter. And I'll read to you verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Now let's stop right there. It says that they returned to Jerusalem. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And what does this symbolize? What does this show? That this time of waiting was actually a time of, of, for them to practice obedience. Because what did Jesus say before he ascended into heaven? He said, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait. You know, don't leave this city. Don't leave Jerusalem, but just wait. And this waiting period for them was an act of obedience. You know, some people are saying, well, what's the big deal? Jesus told them to wait. They just waited. You know, how is, what's the big deal? Why is it so hard? Well, let's look at the disciples' situation and the situation that they were in. You know, from the perspective of the average follower of Jesus, they've been following Jesus for three years, thinking that Jesus was going to come and he was going to become a political ruler, a political leader of the, of the Jewish people. And up till now, the Jews, they, were, they got taken over by the, the old Roman Empire. It was this, this military machine, along with just all this like enlightened people. And they're just taking things over. They say that the sun never set in the Roman Empire. It's like the Roman Empire stretched everywhere. And they, they, they took it over for, for a long time. And then the Jewish people, the Hebrews, they're thinking, man, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be this political leader, this political king like David, and he's gonna, they're going to kick out all the Romans, and we're going to have the kingdom of Israel. And that's the reason why a lot of, majority, most of the people that followed Jesus, that was what their, that was their, was their mind they were thinking. You know, they're like, man, he's doing miracles. He's going to be able to kick out them Romans. I mean, he's raising people from the dead. You know, like, man, I, I get to be a part of this. I get to be a part of it. We're going to come up. We're going to be rich. This is a lot of what, what the people that follow Jesus, this was their mentality. They're waiting for Jesus to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And you've been following this man for three years. You know, for this reason. And as he, all of a sudden, he dies. And you're like, oh, man, and what do you do? You scatter. Like, man, he died. What am I going to do? And you take off and you run and you hide. And then three days later, he's raised from the dead. And you're like, man, he's back. He's the Messiah. He, he really, truly will reestablish the kingdom of Israel. 
And you start following him again. And for 40 days, you start listening to how he's talking about the kid, the kingdom of Israel. Because, you know, he talks about the kingdom of God. And basically, we're God's chosen people. So the kingdom of God is basically the kingdom of Israel. And this is what you're thinking. You're like, man, he's back. Man, they try to take him out. But he's back. He's going he's gonna to do it. He's, he is the Messiah. He is our Savior. He is our ruler. He's our king. And all I have to do is follow him. It's all good. And all of a sudden, he says, wait. And you're like, what? Why, Jesus? Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit that the Father has promised you. And you're going to receive this in a few days. And you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And you're like, sweet! That's awesome! Thanks, Jesus! That's cool! We just got to wait! You know, and so when you have some time alone with them, you go up to them and say, oh, Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You're like, man, Jesus, is it almost time? Are you going to do this thing? Are we going to come up? And he's like, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed for his own authority. And you're like, my bad, Jesus. <laughs> and he goes on and says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you're like, okay. And as you're looking upon him, he starts floating up into heaven. And you're looking up, you're like, Jesus, where are you going? He just keeps going and going and going into the clouds. And all of a sudden, he's gone. And you're just sitting there looking up at the sky. And all of a sudden, some weird-looking dudes next to you in white robes say, Why are you looking up into the the heavens, men of Galilee? You're like, what? Where'd you come from? And say, men of Galilee, why do you look into the heavens? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into the heaven. And then, poof, they were gone. I added that last part. But, but this is a situation that these, that these followers of Jesus were in. It was our mindset. You know, they thought that he was going to remain on earth and finish out the plan. That their plan, the plan that they have in their minds. They're like, man, this is it. And all of a sudden, he's gone. And, and then when the last thing he told you to do was wait. Wait in this city. Some might say, well, what else could they do? And I say, they could have done a lot of things. You know, when Jesus didn't drive out the Romans from their lands and reestablish the kingdom of Israel, they could have just gone back home. They could have felt defeated. They're like, man, this is it. This is our one chance. I guess, I guess we're just going to go back home. They could have gone back to what they were doing, man. They've been following Jesus. They need to feed themselves. They need money. I mean, they've been just following Jesus. They haven't been doing the occupations that they were doing up to the part where Jesus... We just called them. So they could have gone back to work. You know, Jesus said he would be back, but we don't know when. And we need to get back to living our lives. These are things that these, the, the followers of Jesus could have been thinking. And theologians say that according to the book of Acts and the, and the Gospels, the time between Jesus going up into the heavens, ascending into heaven, and the time that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost was 10 days. They waited for 10 days because Jesus, the, the Pentecost talks about the, the Feast of Weeks. And, that, and then that starts Passover. It starts 50 days after Passover. And Jesus was raised on Passover. And, and he was on this earth teaching for 40 days after he was resurrected from the dead. And so after 40 days, he took off. And Passover happened, you know, 10 days later. It, it's like For us, we can figure it out doing math. Oh, it's only 10 days. But for them, they didn't know. 
For them, they're like, man, how long am I supposed to wait in this city? I'm a fisherman of Galilee. There's no water here. I can't fish. How am I going to make money? You know, for us to look now, it's easy to figure out that it was only 10 days. Just merely 10 days. But for them, then to sit and wait was a lot difficult. It was a lot harder. It was an act of obedience. Jesus told them to wait, and they obeyed, and they waited. And we can see this in our times of waiting on the Lord. It's an act of obedience. When we are called to do something or not to do something without knowing the reason for that call, it's at this times, it's at these times that we learn our greatest lessons from obedience. When we do something knowing the reason and the benefits behind it, we may learn from it. But it's not necessarily a lesson in obedience. It's more of a lesson in common sense. It's a lesson in reasoning. When Mina and I were dating, you know, although we were very attracted to each other, we knew that premarital sex was wrong. And it was a sin. And it says in the Bible that it's wrong, and we knew that it was wrong. And we knew that, if we, that you know, it could actually affect our intimacy going into marriage. And so we obeyed. And this wasn't necessarily a lesson in obedience, it was more of a lesson in sin and consequence and the ability to reason things out. Now, we were going to do something because it was the best thing to do. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. This is what God calls us to do at all times. We've got to realize that sometimes we're going to sin and not do it. You know? It causes us to, 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 to when, when there's something that we're not supposed to do, we're not supposed to do it. You know, it's just following you know, it's following the Holy Spirit. It's being led by the Holy Spirit. We're, we're not falling into temptation. We're not falling into sin. But that's not necessarily a lesson in obedience. Let me tell you, it's another lesson altogether when God calls you to do something that doesn't seem like the best option. It's at these times when we learn our greatest lessons from obedience. For the disciples, the best thing would have been if Jesus stayed and reestablished the kingdom of Israel. But when he started floating up into heaven, all that changed for him. It shifted their paradigm. And all of a sudden, they were just supposed to wait. Not know what will happen or even when. And right now, you might be in a period of waiting on the Lord. Like the disciples after Jesus ascended, this time of waiting may not be the most natural thing to do for you. Waiting on him might feel, seem difficult. Sometimes it might be downright painful. But it's during these times of waiting that God is preparing you for the greatest lessons in obedience. You might be waiting for marriage. You might be waiting for a breakthrough. You might be waiting for a career. But all you see is a time of waiting. And I'm here to say don't despise this time. But that know that God is using your obedience to create gold in you. In this time of waiting, God is trying to bring the gold out in you through your obedience. So the, so the disciples, we learned that as they were waiting, they were exercising obedience. They were, they, were, they, were, they were being obedient to the Lord. Let's move on to verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Not the... Not Judas Iscariot, but there was another Judas there. 
All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Let's stop right there. In verse 14, we read that all these were, were with one accord. When the disciples were waiting, they prepared for what was to come by gathering in fellowship. They came together. They recognized the importance of fellowship and community. Now, people need people. It's, it's, it's a part of being human. We need each other. And when we become a Christian, we become a Christian that comes into the community of other believers. And it's in that community that we grow and we thrive. God never calls us to a life of isolation. But he always calls us into relationship. Relationship with him, relationship with his people. Our God is a God of relationship. You know, God himself is what? Three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're always in relation to each other. Where God desires to create fellowship and community, the enemy's favorite weapon against, against people of God is the opposite of fellowship, and it's isolation. He loves to use isolation. The first thing that the enemy will throw at you when you, when you sin is guilt and shame. And the offshoot of shame is isolation. He, he, he throws that shame on you so that he can, he can, he can one day isolate you. And then start, start speaking all these lies into you. He wants you to withdraw from community. Isolate yourself. You're all alone. You're a sinner. No one can accept you. Who can love you? And the enemy speaks these lies into you. So that he can take you out of fellowship with God and with the people that he's placed around you. And in our time of waiting on the Lord, we have to see the importance of fellowship. The importance of community. It's never just you and God. Some Christians out there, they think, you know, they, they think they can do church by themselves. Like, man, it's all about me and God. And nobody can tell me what to do. Only God tells me what to do. All I need is God. These people fail to realize the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us was to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we can't do that outside of community. And all that, that happens in community, you know, in community is where we grow. It's where we find our gifts. It's where we learn to love. But when we're outside of community, yeah, we can love God. But we're not doing the second part, which is loving others. And as they came together to wait upon the Lord, they came together in fellowship, in community. And this is how they prepared for what was to come. This community, this fellowship of 120 people, it says, would later become the church, the very bride of Christ. And brothers and sisters, some of you are waiting on the Lord, and I want you to know that you are not alone, waiting alone. You wait in a community. You wait in fellowship with God. And you wait in fellowship with His people. And it's in this community that you're going to grow. It's in this community that you're going to discover your giftings. In, it's in this community that you're going to learn to walk them out. And it's this fellowship where you're going to discover and, and fulfill your purposes and the cause that God has for you. So the second thing that they were doing is they were meeting in fellowship and in community. Let's move on. Verse 14, it reads, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And the next way that they prepared for what was to come 
was in devoting themselves in prayer. The NIV says they joined together constantly in prayer. The third lesson we can learn in the disciples' preparation for what was to come was their devotion to constant prayer. They practiced obedience, they met, they practiced fellowship, and they devoted themselves to constant prayer. Now, this may sound like a cliche, man. Oh, of course we're supposed to pray. Duh. But there's an important lesson in this. We can never undermine the importance and the power of prayer. Because prayer is how God chooses to work. Like the way he chooses us to evangelize and save people. You know, he saves them, you know, through, through his Holy Spirit. But he, sa- he uses people to go. His hands and feet to go and, and evangelize and save. In that same way, God uses and brings a revival into this, into this world through people that pray. When we st- study the history of revivals, the greatest movements of God in this world were all preceded by people coming together in prayer. It always starts with God calling his people to pray. You know, here at New Philly, we take this lesson to heart and we constantly gather together in prayer. Is because we know that this is how God chooses to work. Friday fire, Sunday swim, joint prayer meeting up in Seoul. It all points back to that first prayer meeting in Jerusalem. And as they all gathered to pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that they received is the same Holy Spirit that is in our prayer meetings. And it's the same Holy Spirit that uses us to advance the kingdom of God upon this earth. And let me tell you, it's not just about corporate prayer. It's not just about the prayers that you pray at church. You know, you come to the prayer meetings. And there's fiery prayers. Like today at Sunday swim, it was fiery. We felt the touch of the Holy Spirit. People cried. I cried. <laughs> no, I cried a lot. I was like, and I felt that the manifest presence of our Lord, the Spirit of God was on me. But we, but we got to find that in our time with the Lord alone, in our prayer closets. When we're alone and we... we it's, it's when we're alone where we need to seek God's face. It says in 1 Thess- Thessalonians 5, 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's God's will that we pray. So they practiced obedience. They gathered in fellowship. They devoted themselves to constant prayer. Let's continue on. It says in verse 15, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of person was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his place. Now, this, this passage says a lot about what the disciples were doing. It, it might not say it explicitly, but what, what, the, what it tells us is that they were reading scripture. 
They were studying scripture. You know, it's, it, it, and they, they, they were studying scripture because Jesus taught them how to do it. Jesus taught them to pray, but Jesus also taught them to study the scriptures. Now, when Peter speaks up about the need to replace Jesus, he's reaching into scripture. He's reaching into the Old Testament. You know, he uses these obscure scriptures that not a lot of people probably knew at that time. This shows that he was studying scripture. You know, as they saw Jesus reading and teaching the scriptures, they started studying it for themselves. And during this time of waiting in preparation for what was to come, they must have been studying the scriptures. What happens? After the Holy Spirit comes and Peter gets baptized by the Holy Spirit, he gets up and he, he speaks his sermon. And he starts his sermon by going into the Old Testament to Joel 2.28. And he speaks out this passage in the scripture that is one of the most important scriptures that, that pertains to the coming of the Holy Spirit. And as I imagine this, imagine this, Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And as they're waiting, they're like, man, I want to know what it says in the scriptures about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And they started studying the scriptures. They started studying prophecy about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God is calling us to do in our time of waiting. He's calling us to find his voice in scripture, to find his words in scripture. The very word of God is written in the scriptures. For he speaks to us through scripture. There's a saying that praying is talking to God. And then reading the Bible is when God talks to us. And the word of God needs to be written on your heart. You know, as I was writing this sermon, I got convicted. Because the Lord was telling me, man, the word of God is scribbled on your heart. But it's not written on your heart. Because, like, I would write this sermon, I'd be like, man, what's that verse? I know there's a verse out there that says something like this. I'll Google it, and I'll find it, and I'll be like, all right, that's it, and I'll put it in. But it's not written on my heart. It's just scribbled on my heart. But God's telling me, man, it has to be written. It has to be, in, like, in, has to be like, you know, like, not even, like, paper and pen, but it needs to be like a stone tablet, and it's chiseled on your heart so that nothing can erase it. God is constantly speaking through us through his word. And in our time of waiting, he doesn't expect us to wait in silence. But he calls us to search his word, to hear his voice. It's through his voice, through his word, that's going to carry us in our time of waiting. So the, the, the disciples, as they, as they were waiting, they were practicing obedience. They were, they were practicing obedience. What else were they doing? The fellowship. And they were praying. And they were finding the voice of God in Scripture. And I want to close with this, this last point. Here at New Philly, we are in a time of waiting on the Lord. There are many prophetic words over our house that says that we are to experience beyond the progression increase. Beyond the progression growth. Here at Seaside, we have prophetic words that we will be in the thousands. And we stand in faith for, the, for these prophetic words. And we're in a time of waiting, waiting for this exponential increase. And in the same way, the disciples were also waiting. They were also waiting for increase. Because they also had a prophetic word concerning their increase. Because when Jesus said that they would be his disciples, you know, in, 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 in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, it wasn't just a command, it was a prophetic declaration. 
Jesus was declaring prophetically that you guys are going to go and you guys are going to multiply and you guys are going to increase. And the declaration that, that Jesus spoke out, it came true right away. Peter's sermon, there were 120. And after Peter's sermon, they said 3,000 were added to his number. That's, that's beyond the progression increase. That's what I think. And we see that in their time of waiting for the Holy Spirit, we see that the disciples saw the importance of leadership. Let's read in verse 21. So we read this. So one of the men who have accompanied us, this is Peter talking, during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Bar. Barsabbas, and was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the heart of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And when we read this, we see here that the disciples not only saw the importance of leadership, but they also recognized the authority that came with that leadership. They saw the importance of the mantle of leadership that, were, that they carried. They could have just gone with 11. They said, all right, Judas screwed up. He's gone. But they recognized that the responsibility and the authority that Jesus Iscariot was supposed to carry had to continue on. They recognized the calling and the authority that came along with that calling. And they saw that leadership was key in fulfilling the command that Jesus had given them. And here at New Philly, we believe that this is what God is calling us to do. He's, he's, we're here in Busan, not just to raise up Christians, but we're here to raise up leaders. No. We can't have just a thousand sheep. We're going to need people to feed those sheep. We're going to need people to care for those sheep. We need leaders to rise up. And that happens when men and women like you take their, take their place as leaders in the kingdom of God. Leaders in this house. Leaders in this community. You know, last week, Pastor Christian preached from one of our core values. He says the anointing flows from the top down. And in it, he talked about how God calls us to submit to our spiritual leaders. And in our submission of our spiritual leaders... We receive God's blessing that flows from the top down. But we don't want that blessing to stop with you. Eventually, God wants you to, 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 to be a person that not just receives blessing, but starts to bless. He wants you to grow and mature. He wants you to, to go out and start ministering. And it takes us back to what Jesus commanded us to do before he ascended to heaven. To be his witnesses. In other parts of the Bible, in the Gospels, it says to make disciples of all men. And it comes back to that. God calls us to not only make disciples, but those disciples to make disciples. And in you, God calls you to be raised up as a leader. And in doing so, to raise up more leaders. My, started, my sermon started with a look at Jesus' command for the disciples to wait. And in that time of waiting, how the disciples prepared for what was to come. And in a sense, we are all in a period of waiting. 
Because we are all waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And like the disciples, like they were actively preparing for the coming of the Holy Spirit, we too are called to actively wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our obedience, in our relationship and fellowship with God and His people, in constant devotion to prayer, you know, in, in searching the Scriptures and the Word of God, we are to grow and mature and take our place, our authority, empowered by the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God upon this world. You know, brothers and sisters, politics and better laws do not advance the kingdom of God. People think that if we can get better laws, then, then the kingdom of God will grow. Laws cannot advance the kingdom of God. What advances the kingdom of God are men and women of God that are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit that go out and bear witness to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then the kingdom advances. And as the kingdom advances, laws change. And as the kingdom advances, you know, freedom starts to reign over countries. Revival comes. And these preparations that the disciples were doing as they waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit, they never stopped doing them. It was just the beginning of a lifestyle of waiting on the Lord. Waiting for His will. Waiting for His plan. And in their obedience, their fellowship, their prayer and study of the Scripture, and in their raising up disciples and leaders, they helped advance the kingdom of God upon this earth as we see today. And God's calling us into that. God's calling us into that today. We're in a time of waiting. but We need to wait actively. We need to wait proactively. Let's close in prayer. If uh, the worship team can come up. I want to say everybody to close your eyes. And I want to pray for some people that are in their time of waiting. I believe that there's some people in here, they're in a time of waiting. It's a holding pattern that God has you in. And it's tough. And it's difficult. And it's hard to see why this waiting is all, what, what it's all about. It's hard to see what you're waiting for. It's hard to see how long you're going to be waiting. But I want to pray for you right now. And I want to declare that this time of waiting is to prepare you. This time of waiting is a time of preparation for you to be that much more effective that much more powerful when your time comes. And I want to pray for you now. If there's people in you, I want you to raise your hands. Put your hands up into the air. Put your hands up. Put your hands up and say, God, I will wait for you. It's a declaration of your, your commitment to God, that you're going to wait. That you're going to wait upon the Lord. That you're going to wait for His timing. 
Are you going to wait for His will? Are you going to wait for His purpose? But in that time of waiting, you're declaring that you're going to wait actively in obedience to Him, in relation to Him and His people, in prayer and in Scripture. Are you going to wait for the Lord? Brothers and sisters, this is what God's calling all of us to do. God's calling all of us to wait upon the Lord. Because we will rise up on wings like eagles. We will run and not be weary. And so God, I pray, Lord, that we will be a generation of people that waits for you. And we will be a generation of people that waits for your timing and your purpose. That as we wait, we wait obedient to you. We wait in communication and relationship to you, God. And we give you all of our hearts. We give you our will. We thank you, Lord. We bless your name. Let's all stand up and close for the closing song.